0: It is Locked on Jazz for the 25th of May. Shot distribution and what leads to winning has changed dramatically in the NBA. So yes, I'm totally nerding out on you here, but it could be a kind of a great show. Plus, Donovan Mitchell's season in review and the Brooklyn Nets, they have anything we want. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz up, bum 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 pow How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, what? geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you very much for tuning in and making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. For those of you that are listening on the podcast, thank you very much. Five-star reviews. You greatly appreciate it. You notice there was no open today because if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing a whole new pizzazz and rolling ticker tape and notes on the side and all sorts of things we're playing around to see what we can do to make the video uh, program look better than ever before. Uh, So feel free to follow Locked on Jazz on YouTube. Feel free to drop some comments of what you think of how this looks, and we can, we're can we going to hopefully play along with live polls and tweets and hashtags and all sorts of fun stuff once I figure it out, but I haven't totally figured it out yet. So this is, once again, you're the guinea pig and the experiment. So I'm totally fired up for this and nerding out at the highest level because I did some research last night on what's leading to winning, kind of the series what wins. Yesterday we did, really you got to shoot. Like we kind of figured out you got to shoot, not surprising. <clears throat> the old stories you had to shoot in the right places. And I'm not sure that's totally true anymore. And this is a huge change to where the NBA was a few years ago. So I'm going to start there. I'm planning to get to the Donovan Mitchell season review and hopefully get into the Nets. But actually, I don't know that we're going to get to everything because this feels heavy and it feels cool. And if you're a locked-on listener, it feels like you're going to kind of dig this. So let me start on the... There's this book basketball on paper that's that's the everything that's the dean oliver book that kind of revolutionized uh how you look at the nba so let me start with we're looking at just shot location not if you make the shots just where you're forcing people to shoot from how they're getting their shots where those shots are coming thank you to cleaning the glass website for this data and i'm going to start on the defensive end um this is pretty interesting because when I do the offense, it's going to be very different and it's going to explain a little bit of where regular season teams sit versus playoff teams and why a team like the Utah Jazz can be as good as it is in the regular season but struggle in the playoffs. This is pretty eye-opening. So we've talked about this a lot. The biggest trend that's going on in the NBA right now, number one trend, is teams taking away the rim. In the last season of teams that denied the rim, there were were now... Eight teams at 30% or below the uh, shots at the rim allowed. They only allowed their opponent to have 30% or fewer shots at the rim. Last year, there were two. The year prior, when Milwaukee started this revolution, in the 1920 bubble season, there was one. Okay? So Milwaukee started this revolution in the 1920 season, and they were the only team in the entire league that allowed their opponents... 31% or fewer shots at 31% of their shots are fewer at the rim. By 2021, just one year later, that number jumped to both Milwaukee and Washington, I believe, that were at under 30, and there were five teams under 31. And then this last year, we go to 2021, and the entire league says, you can't have the rim anymore. And it goes to eight teams, as I just mentioned, 30% or below, and 10 teams at 31% or below. Does that work? Yes. The top six teams in the league that denied the rim won on average 49 pers- games as a, as those six. And the teams that allowed shots at the rim won on average 33% of their, or not 33%, 33 games. So the top six teams in the league at denying the rim, Rudy Gobert, Brooke Lopez, DeAndre Ayton, Boston and Robert Williams, Golden State would somehow, they won 49 games as a group on average. The bottom six teams won on average 33. Okay, if you go back to yesterday's show, the only thing that impacts winning more than that was actually making shots and denying shots. Right? Offensive efficiency was actually, you know, if if you're a bad offensive team, you only won, the bottom six teams only won 24 games. Yesterday we did... The four factors, shooting, turnovers, rebounds, and free throws, and then offense efficiency. Today, what we're looking at is shot location. So if you deny the rim, and you're a top six team at denying the rim, you win, on average, 49 games, 50 games. To the argument, if you have Rudy Gobert, you might just win 50 games. That's it, automatically. If you don't, and you allow shots at the rim, and you're in the bottom six, you, on average, win 33 games. The other one that's super interesting here is the mid-range, defensively. Defensively. You force the most mid-range shots. So either in the paint non-restricted or in the long twos. If you force the most amount of those shots, defensively, you win, on average, the top six teams in the league, top 20%, you win 51 games. If you're in the bottom six, you, oh, and you don't, teams don't shoot mid-range shots, you only win on average 38. So, and that is the biggest number. That is the biggest number I've got on the sheet here. Here's where this gets really wacky: and that's the three-point shot. If you are in the top six in the league, At denying the three, I can't believe this is right. I actually want to like double check my numbers on this. If you're in the top six in the league at denying the three, you win, on average, 36 games. Let me say that again. Boy, I got every sound effect in the world going on here today. If you are in the top six in the league at denying the three, so you allow your opponents not to get threes, you win on average 36 games of those six teams. If you allow the most threes in the league, you're in the bottom six at denying the three. You allow the most threes. Blasphemy, you can't do that. You win on average 39. Pretty clear That one, you're actually better off allowing more threes than less because you're denying the rim and you're doing other things. What's really this shows is it's about the rim. If you allow teams to shoot mid range shots, you win. If you deny the rim, you win. The three, there's no correlation right now to denying the three and a great deal of winning there is a slight correlation to denying the corner three. The corner three, if you're in the top six at denying the corner three, you win 45, average 45 wins. If you're in the bottom six, you average 40 wins. I don't know if this is coming across. I find it fascinating. So the takeaway here, the takeaway here, is that defenses in the regular season to, to lead you to victory, have to take away the rim and force you into mid-range shots. The three? Nah. The rim, again, top six teams in the league at denying the rim win 49 games on average. The bottom six teams at denying the rim win 33. There's the margin. Here's what's crazy. There's no... Correlation between winning and shooting at the rim. What? I just told you how important it is for you to deny the rim defensively. But if you flip this around and we pull the teams that shoot the most at the rim in the NBA, the teams that took the absolute most shots of any team in the league at the rim. There's no correlation between what they're doing and winning. The teams that took the most shots at the rim won, on average, 31 games. The the six teams that took the fewest shots at the rim won 52 games what so on defense all the defenses are now built to deny the rim to such an extent that if you don't have an offense that can score without getting the rim you lose so if you're the rim dependent And you're one of the six teams in the league that shoots at the rim most of anyone in the league. So you're rim dependent. Your average win total was 31 games. If you're one of the six teams that's completely non-rim dependent, because you've got such good shooters and you can do so many other things, you win 52%. You won, on average, 52 games. 52! It's one of the biggest numbers we've seen on anything here. Literally... Don't build your team offensively to go to the rim anymore because everyone's denying the rim. It's crazy. I'll elaborate on that some more. That's wild. I don't know if you think so, but I do. Today's show is brought to you by Steve Carter of Intercap Lending and our good friends over at Intercap. Intercap is a nimble lending company, and right now you need a nimble lending company and they really do amazing work. Steve Carter has been with us for a long time now. We've They've uh, sponsored our program. And Steve is one that, for me, it's just an absolute pleasure to tell you to go visit Steve Carter over at Intercap because the reviews I get back from all of our locked on people, and that can be everything from our COO to one of our hosts to one of you that is listening to Locked On Jazz, have been through the roof. Steve Carter's number is 385 885 28. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Intercap is a local Utah company that is helping lenders all across the country. So you don't have to only be in Utah to use Intercap. If you want me to, I'll set you up with a personal meeting with Steve. Email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock 9 at gmail.com, and we'll set you up with Steve. They're hyper-responsive. They embrace change. The borrow experience is unbelievable. He's done two mortgages for me, and he was through the roof at how great he was at doing it. It's Steve Carter. You can call him directly if you don't want to involve me. 385-885-28. It's Intercap Lending. Feel free to email me first if you want to uh, have me hook you up with a VIP connection. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. I didn't know this until I was on with Scotty and... Uh, uh, hands yesterday but built bar the grasshopper cookie is back so are the granola bars they are rolling out everything right now so locked 15 gets you 15 off i gotta tip my hat to Built Bar. yesterday i was so excited to order grasshopper cookies i was on with scotty and hands i did it while i was on with them and i forgot to put in my locked 15 promo code and i emailed them and they put it in for me how great is that um the granola bars are back 15 grams of protein Plus granola, coconut, uh, chocolate coconut, coconut, chocolate peanut butter, and white chocolate berry. Your puffs, grasshopper cookie is back and on sale. The brownie batter, the coconut marshmallow, the churro, it's built. It's all amazing. And the macros are through the roof. 130 calories, 2.5 fat grams, 4 net carbs, and 4 grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. It's all at built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. All right. All right. I've got a lot of energy today for no reason. If you're at the very end of the show, I'll crack a joke with those of you that are, um, that for those of you that get it, um, and you'll laugh, um, hopefully. All right, so I want to continue this, but I do want to get to the Donovan Mitchell season review. So we just exposed that what's, all, the next step of this is, so then I dug in and looked at offensive shot location. So offensive shot location, which I've always thought was one of the most important things in the game, which is basically you got to make sure you take the money ball shots. No longer on the offensive side is correlating to winning. The The six teams that had the best offensive shot location last year, obviously because the teams went to the rim, won 32 games and the six teams that had the worst shot location won 49 games and what's interesting about this is almost all of our playoff teams and so what's happening to the Utah Jazz and some other teams probably when they get to the playoffs Milwaukee and some of their playoff problems though they won a title is you build your regular season defense to take away the rim because that's what leads to winning but the teams that are in the playoffs are in the playoffs because they're not rim dependent I, I, maybe it's intuitive. Maybe you don't think this is that cool. I, this is a dramatic change from where the league was. If you take more mid-range shots, you actually win. Actually, if you take a lot of mid-range or no mid-range, you actually don't win. If you take, if you're in the top six of taking the most mid-range shots, you win 41 games. If you're in the bottom six, you win 37. Neither of those is good. If you take the most threes in the league, top six teams, the most threes, you win on average 45 games. If you take the least, you win on average 45 games. In offense right now, other than frankly corner threes, there doesn't seem to be the shot. It's actually what your team can do. And the teams that win are the teams that are taking contrary to money ball shots, But the defenses that win are the ones that force those shots. And so when you get to the playoffs and you're built on complete rim defense, as many teams are, as so many teams are, as the entire league has gone that direction, the teams that actually win in the playoffs are the teams that have the offensive built to handle that. It's maybe intuitive, but it's a pretty interesting question. And it does stem to the question of why does Rudy Gobert feel less prominent in the playoffs and the reason is because if you're going to win in this league to get to the playoffs you better deny the rim defensively but the minute you get to the playoffs you're now facing teams that are no longer rim dependent i think it's amazing i didn't know that honestly intuitively maybe but not statistically i hope you think that's cool feel free to leave your comments in the comment section if you're on youtube feel free to hit me at dlock 09 on Twitter if you're listening on a podcast so we can have you involved. Donovan Mitchell's season in review. Donovan Mitchell is just 25 years old. I was talking to someone yesterday who knows the NBA way better than I do and they were talking about Boston and kind of the blowouts and they're like, hey, they're 25, 24 and 25. They're really, really young. It's going to be interesting to see if they can hold this thing off because they are so young. But Donovan got better this year. He's in his fifth year in the league. His scoring was about the exact same. He took about the same amount of shots. For whatever strange, mysterious reason, one of his primary weapons this year left him, which was the catch-and-shoot three. It never came back. I waited all year. There were little streaks during the year where I was convinced that he he was going to get it rolling and start the, the that three, and he never did. Coming into this season... Donovan was the number two catch-and-shoot three-point shooter in the NBA behind Joe Harris at 43%. And this year he shot 35% on his catch-and-shoot threes. His off-the-bounce three, slight increase, 36%. He was at 34 the last two years. So you see a little pickup. His pick-and-roll game was elite up until March. And then something happened. But something just happened to Donovan in March. Maybe it was a concussion, frankly. It kind of parlays. Donovan and Rudy were the number one pick and roll combination till March 1. And then after March 1, Donovan and Rudy were 61st out of the top 100 pick and roll combinations. And Donovan and Hassan, who were the fifth best pick and roll combination up till March 1, were 86th out of 100. Donovan went from the number one pick and roll ball handler in the NBA for the seat to fifth, all in a span of the end of the year. He was 1.05 for the year. He was about 1.1 up to March 1. And then he was 0.99 after March 1. I don't know what happened. Fatigue? There are a lot of numbers on Donovan this year that lead to say he got tired. He wasn't particularly good in fourth quarters. He wasn't particularly good on back-to-backs. He shot 40% for the field and 29% from three on back-to-backs. Usually those games are without Mike Conley. His true shooting percentage was 51% on a back-to-back, 56% with one day's rest, 58% with two days rest, and 68% with three or more days rest. Which was 10 games, actually. He was less good in the fourth quarter than any other quarter, and he had the struggles in the clutch late in the year. All seemed to stem somewhere in March, where things, he's inactive in February from the concussion. He then comes back, plays about, uh, I think it was eight, nine, ten games, He's perfectly good in that stretch. He's shooting 50% from the field, taking 10 threes, shooting 47%, and averaging 28 points. He's great, actually. Not, like, good. He's great. The dude's great. And then from March 1 on, he still puts up decent numbers, but they're not as good. He averages 26 points. He shoots 43%, 34% from three. You know, March 1's is, like, arbitrary date I just picked. He shoot he actually scores 37 points on March 2nd. I can like fiddle with the numbers and make them actually even worse if I want to by taking out the one game against Houston. That's not the point. He something changed right around that time period. Um we had a great win in Phoenix on on right before March first. He's super in that game, makes a bunch of key plays, and then we go on that road trip, come back, kind of have that grueling march, and he's not in that stretch, quite the same. Overall for the season, though, Donovan's better. He just continually gets better. And it's hard at this point to get better. There's small, incremental, slight changes that make you better. 26 points, five assists, four rebounds, all little slight increases. His two-point shooting got way better this year, which is important, like to what we just talked about. He became a more... Uh, well-rounded player he shot 52% on his 10 to 16 footer he shot 47% on his 3 to 10 footer he shot 71% at the rim these are hard things to get better at and he got better um he his dunk number was actually up from last year which is a good sign for his athleticism his percentage of field goals assisted Stayed about the same. It's about 50% is off the bounce three. Got a little bit better. But if you look at Don, he made the... These jumps are small and tiny and hard and winning is brutal. And he's making them. He did, as I say, slide after March 1 a little bit. That It was strange. strange. Statistically, things aren't quite the same. And in the playoffs... He shoots 40% from the field and 21% from three. He, you know, if you go look at his playoff history, he has the amazing series against Oklahoma City, he has the two bad series against Houston, and then he's an incredible in the bubble. He's great against Memphis. He's super against the Clippers. So this was out of character for him to have this drop where Dallas is long, multiple defenders, Seemed to be able to dig into him and cause him some playoff problems. And Mike Conley had the same problem. So neither of them was there to bail the other one out. When you dig in a little bit more, and I I did already on some of the the pick and roll stuff, it's interesting. He was better against the switch this year. He got switched 23% of the time when he was in the pick and roll, and he was really good against it. one04 It's really, really important. So he's improving at all of the items that you need for him to do. And I assume that pure jump shooting element of his game that is the only thing that was really big picture statistically off for him will come back. The sample size says it will. And the late game struggles from february on in this clutch february 1st from march 1st on that's the march first date he was 8 of 38 and 1 of 13 in the clutch he closed the year 3 of 24 and 0 of 8 from 3 in the clutch so those you know those numbers are are and the and the not as good on back-to-backs and not as good in fourth quarters like that Those may all tie into something. There's something, a fatigue, a wearing down during the course of a game that he's got to look into. His body is a running back body. Right? It's not like a sprinter's body. But that's probably something he's got to look at. That's our Donovan Mitchell season in review. What do you grade Donovan Mitchell? I'm still giving that kid an A. I think he should have made first team. I didn't get into it today. I'll talk about it a little bit tomorrow in that I think that he um, he deserves I think both you know Donovan or Trey Young to me is super interesting Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert are super interesting I probably should have gone with that today um, but I want to look at it a little bit more try to analyze it figure it out and frankly last night with what happened in Texas I didn't dig in like I probably could have uh Brooklyn Nets. Do we have anybody that we want on that roster? We touch on that. It's an interesting one next as we continue. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Our good friends over at BetOnline.net, the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next NFL Futures, BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today to use your mobile device and learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, the Brooklyn Nets are our focus of teams and rosters we might be interested in. I don't think I have the screen share. Oh, I probably do. Capability today, but let, let's see. I might. I might have it. Let's see. Uh, this is going to be an interesting little attempt by me. Let's see what happens. Nope. Oh, I do if I just do this. Ha! there you go. So, I do have the screen share for you. Uh, For those of you that are on video, you are getting the screen share right now. This is the Brooklyn Nets salary chart for the year. And if we look at the Nets, let me ask you the first question. I want your comments in the comment section if you're on YouTube. Do you, would you take Kyrie Irving? Sign and trade for Kyrie Irving, would you do it? Anyone? 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 I probably would say no. I'm not messing with that. All right, here's the Nets. They've got Durante signed for 47, 44, 47, and 51. Ben Simmons, 35, 37, and 40. Joe Harris coming off of surgeries at 18 and 19. Seth Curry has one year left at 8.5, and he's vital to them. Patty Mills has one year left at 6 million. Cameron Thomas... Is at two million in a rookie. Deron Sharp is at two million. Here's what's interesting to me about the Nets: they need players. Now, the word is that the Nets are going to give Philadelphia back their draft pick for this upcoming draft. Rafael Barlow of Locked On NBA Big Board reported this the other day, and he believes that they are going to give back the. Trade. Now, the question if you're the jazz to me, and I don't know how you make the money work, you might make the money work with Patty with Patty Mills. Would you trade Royce O'Neal and a first round for a first round pick in the 20s? Try to regain some draft capital. Give Danny some pieces to play with. Um We don't have a lot of other players you could trade for a first round pick, but they need, you know, Brown, who they, uh, is now a free agent again. Uh, Javon Carter is off their books again. So they're, they're short players and they're only going to be able to acquire players if they're doing it (coughs) through trades. Uh, I don't know if you could do Cameron Thomas and De'Ron Sharp for um, Royce O'Neal. I don't think that works out. So again, this gets difficult in how you do a deal with Brooklyn. But Brooklyn's an interesting prospect. And maybe you involve a third team that has cap space. And you do some things of that sort. Because, but the fact is that they don't have players. They're short guys. So if you're trying to get a deal done with them in which, you know, Brooklyn, you suddenly are trading Cam and De'Ron De- De- Sharp are both o- only come out to $4 million and, and Royce is at eight point eight, So it just doesn't come together. Um, Seth Curry can really shoot it, but I can't imagine that, well, I mean, they need players. I can't imagine they would give up Seth Curry for... For Royce O'Neal, I, I don't see that actually working for them in that fashion. So Brooklyn, to me, is interesting because they need players. And I do think there's something you can do with them. And I don't know, you'd have to like Cam Thomas, you'd have to like Dayron Sharp, you'd have to want the 22nd pick of the draft, and you'd have to be willing to move. Um, but for us, Royce O'Neal's $8.8 million for two more years, it's a great deal. He's vital to what we are because he doesn't take... Um, He doesn't take a lot of money, but I don't know that, um, you know, if we're trying to get younger, we're trying to get more athletic, we're trying to add pieces to the puzzle. He's one of the guys you have to look at moving, um, at that point. So that's the interesting one to me about Brooklyn and worth taking a look at. That is today's show locked on jazz. Hopefully all the new technical stuff, other than the fact that my computer was making every noise imaginable, um, and I now just see a thing where I probably could have gotten rid of it. Uh, so we'll do that the next time. Any thoughts on the new little graphics and all that stuff, please let me know. Uh, feel free to leave comments in the comment section or email me at dlock 9 at um, or email me at dlock09 at gmail.com or tweet me at, at uh, DLock09. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is Locked On Jazz. Tomorrow we will look at Jordan Clarkson's season. And our team that we take a look at um, is the Charlotte Hornets. There is a possibility I don't get a show out tomorrow. i got some parenting things I have to deal with. For those of you that are wondering what my little joke to you was, if you're over 50, here's what i got to tell you. I haven't eaten since Monday at midnight. And somehow I still got enough juice. I got a lot of juice. That's all I got is juice. See you. Have a good one.